uh, just, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago, one of, our, one of our dear brothers came to me and spoke to me about his responsibility teaching the Bible. And in a desire to maybe sort of pass on the baton to the next teacher, to the next generation or what have you, his concern was, I just don't want to end up saying something that is wrong. I don't want to end up saying something that is contrary to God's word. And in that moment, I was deeply encouraged. I was encouraged because this brother understands his responsibility. He understands the weighty task of opening the Bible and explaining it or giving the sense of it. I've told you numerous times the kind of uh, sort of uh, mental trek I do in, in a week's time, we could say mental and spiritual, sometimes even physical, getting ready to preach. And a lot of times I, I, I don't even want to start because I know once I start, it's going to be it's going to be intense. It's going to be laborious. And in the same way, I don't want to end up saying something that is wrong. I don't want to lead people into error in the slightest way. So oftentimes there is a weight that's, that's falling upon the preacher. Every real preacher of God's word, there is a weight falling upon them every time they prepare to open the text of God's word. And lately, I would just ask you to pray for me. Because I've been struggling in it. The struggling to give the time necessary to the preparation for the preaching of God's word. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit has sustained in those times where I have failed or am failing or feel weak. Originally, I wanted to preach about uh, this topic, for lack of a better word, expositional preaching or expository preaching, if you prefer that term. Originally, I was scheduled to preach this a few Sundays ago when I came down with a cold, and then Kyle stepped in, thankfully, and preached to you from the book of Matthew. But sort of in conjunction with our series Reset, I felt it was a good idea to remind you of how I approach preaching, really how Kyle and I both approach preaching. While we preach the way we do, at Cedarview, while we walk through books of the Bible. And so today is not going to be a sermon like you're used to hearing. It's going to be an explanation, really, of how we preach. And what we want to do is follow up the text that I'm about to read. It's going to serve as a jumping off place for us today. But what I'm going to do is next week I want to follow up and preach that text expositionally. So today I want to explain expository preaching, expositional preaching, and next week, we're going to do it. And I want to help you in some way. As you make notes, I want you to be thinking about next week. And next week, I want you to be thinking about this week so that you can tie these things together. And my hope is that you will not just be a passive listener on Sunday morning, but that you would grow in engaging God's word, that you would actively listen. I am thankful for the, for the few of you, and I'm not one of these folks, so I know I'd probably drive preachers crazy too. But like some of you, you, you have this look on your face like you are, you're engaged. You know what I'm talking about? I know some of you are half falling asleep. I can say Frank because he's not here anymore. 
you're half falling asleep, and I know some of you are still able to listen. But there's some of you, you are just like, I look at you, and you're with me, and you nod, and I can see it on your face, you're engaged. I want us all to be engaged in our own way in the preaching of God's word for our own good and for the good of everybody around us. So I want to jump off here from 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, interestingly, the first time I ever preached a sermon, I preached on one of these verses. And it wasn't short either. I think it was about 24 minutes. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4, Paul writes to Timothy as he concludes this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And I'll continue for the sake of completing the thought. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray once more. Father, we do come to you pleading for your grace as we understand your word. As we have sung, show us Christ. Let us know him. Let us joy in him today. May we be more conformed to his likeness, having looked into your word. We pray in his name. Amen. I want to begin by using a thought there, this idea of having itching ears. We'll cover the details next week, but simply having itching ears. We live in a society where everything is tailor-made to the consumer. And unfortunately, we view preaching in the church, in our culture, very much the same. There is a product I want from the pulpit, and I'm going to go somewhere where I can find that product and consume that product to my liking. We have itching ears, and so we often refer to preaching that suits the itching ears as ear-tickling preaching. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions. And he says they will turn away from the truth. So I'm going to give you some subtle ways. This is not every way. And I'm not talking about blatant false teaching because there's plenty of that in our society. Hopefully that's more easily recognizable. But I want to give you some subtle ways that we miss the preaching of God's word. How we tend to gravitate toward ear-tickling preaching. And I've already used one of these words this morning. Topical preaching. Topical preaching is not bad. That is preaching that relates to a particular topic rather than a particular text, usually. Topical preaching in the best cases can still be faithful communication of God's word. Oftentimes, if you hear me like today, 
I'm not even doing it. This is a topical sermon. Hopefully it's faithful to the biblical text. But oftentimes we will take a topic and then we will tie it to a biblical text. Sometimes topical preaching is very good for the church. Our series on reset, you could call that topical exposition or topical preaching. I recall John MacArthur, he said, I will allow preachers to preach a topical sermon once a year and then repent. <laughs> uh, but see, topical preaching, topical preaching in the worst cases takes God's word and then uses it to say something that the preacher wants to say or uses it to say something that the congregation wants to hear. So sometimes, this is just an example, the way that the church often is dictated by current events. And this is one thing I have devoted myself against, all right? So if something happens during the week and uh, we feel no need, Kyle and I feel no need, maybe in certain situations it may be appropriate, we feel no need to deviate from what we have planned to preach. But if something has happened in the, the world out there, you'll hear it in our prayers, most likely. You may hear it in some of the application if it applies. But we will not be dictated to by current events or happenings in the world. The church cannot be reactionary. The church must maintain a prophetic voice. So we want to be careful not to use God's word to simply say something that we want to say. All preachers are guilty of this to some degree. When it comes to mind, when somebody shows me, I am glad to repent. This is one subtle way. Maybe one more obvious, but still subtle way, is man-centered preaching. Man-centered preaching. I've heard it said many people come to God to get things. True Christians come to God to get God. You consider John 2. The way Jesus talks about the people, they were all following him. John records they were all following him. But it says Jesus himself did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in man. He knew that their motives were off. They're following him for the miracles. They're following him for the show. And then in John 6, what do they do? There's still people hanging out with Jesus because, hey, he multiplied bread. He could give us bread. Endless supplies of bread. We could even say John 4, when the woman at the well came to him, what she was looking for was water so that she wouldn't have to come to the well every day. So see, people come to Jesus for a lot of reasons that are focused on themselves. We see this in prosperity preaching, which trains people to view God as a type of genie. If I rub the lamp in the right way, Jesus will give me what I want. We see prosperity uh, mutilate principles of God's word. We know, like obedience brings blessing. And so they say, well, if you're not being blessed by God, then it's your fault. You're not healed? Oh, it's because your faith is not strong enough. Prosperity turns the word of God into a man-centered thing. Maybe even a, a more subtle way here is how-to man-centered preaching. You've heard those sermons? You know, it's five steps to success. 
It's three steps to being a better mom, being a better neighbor, being a better worker. All of this how-to preaching often reduces the Christian life to a series of good principles. So rather than Jesus and trusting him and, and being conformed to his likeness, we think, oh, I can get the Christian life in one, two, three, four. We principalize the Bible and we miss Christ. Morality is esteemed, but transformation does not occur. Topical preaching, man-centered preaching, and then I would say, finally, entertainment preaching. We live in a day of celebrity preachers, preaching that is built on the personality of a person, the style of a person, rather than upon the Word of God. And this is such an easy snare. It stems from a faulty understanding of the purpose of preaching. A lot of us come to church and we think, hey, I'm the audience. Preacher, entertain me today. Make me feel some type of way. As I've heard many times, even step on my toes. I like that. Give me the entertainment. But you need to be reminded, we all need to be reminded as listeners of God's word, we are not the audience. Preaching is an act of worship. So, if I can say it simply, when I get up to preach, I am preaching to you, but I am preaching for God. It is an act of worship. In this, the preacher guards against the temptation to please man, because if the preacher seeks to please man, as Paul says, he cannot be a servant of Christ. There are many ways we distort God's intentions for preaching. Some subtle, some not so subtle. But I want to give you my aim in preaching today, the theme this morning. I should say our aim. Our aim is to preach the gospel by prayerfully expounding the Bible to the people God has given us to love. I'm, I'm going to speak today really on behalf of myself and Kyle. Our aim is to preach the gospel by prayerfully expounding the Bible to the people God has given us to love. I want to be clear. I borrow a lot of my um, material on preaching from this just well-written book. It's called The Archer and the Arrow, subtitled Preaching the Very Words of God. Uh, it has been such a wonderful help in thinking through preaching. I encountered it many years ago, uh, and it becomes a, a trusted resource for me. So I'm going to refer to some of the things that these guys say in their book. But our aim is to preach the gospel by prayerfully expounding the Bible to the people God has given us to love. And I want to give you uh, an explanation of expositional or expository preaching on that next slide Expositional preaching takes the main point of a passage of scripture and it makes it the main point of a sermon and applies it to life today. You may recall in our reading earlier from Nehemiah 8, Ezra stood up and what does it say he did? He gave the sense. You read in the, some of the other versions, I believe NIV says he explained the meaning. He gave the sense of God's word. So he stood up and he simply communicated what God had already said. That is what it comes down to. 
What does the scripture say? That's what we need to hear. So I want to give you three reasons that we preach expositionally. Three reasons we preach expositionally. Number one, God's word is sufficient. God's word is sufficient. And there are hours and hours of readings we could do from the Bible about the Bible and its sufficiency. But I want to give you just a snippet from Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. God's word is sufficient in all things. I want to review a little bit. You remember what happened in the garden? God gave his word to Adam and Eve. And what is the one thing, the very first thing that the enemy challenged? Did God say? Did God say that? God's word is sufficient for life. And this was in the garden, the first of innumerable challenges for believers throughout History, but let me remind you of the days of Moses. Moses, Exodus 19, when he's delivering the law, Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words the Lord had commanded him. Samuel, 1 Samuel 8.10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. We turn to the prophets. What do all the prophets say? Thus says the Lord. We turn to Acts. We see the, the pattern of evangelism, the pattern of mission. It constantly refers to them speaking the word of God, how they spoke boldly for the Lord. And then as Jensen and Grimmond in this book write throughout the Bible, the essence of speaking God's word is faithfulness to the message as it has been received from God. What about Jesus? What did Jesus do? The very word in human flesh, what did he tell us when he commissioned the church to make disciples? Teach them to observe all I have commanded you. This is why the work of the church in disciple making is never finished. 
because we have not gotten every last one of his teachings. We have not understood and applied every last jot and tittle of the word. This is our ongoing task. The very same message that Jesus and the Holy Spirit received is the message that they heard from their father. John 16, 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So hear this. Jesus speaks only what his father tells him to speak. The Holy Spirit speaks only what he hears from the Father. So why would any preacher of God's word think he can do otherwise? It's it's that simple. It's that simple. One writer, Alexander, suggests by way of uh, illustration, the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa in 2019 was actually moved to a new room, and it's only been moved a handful of times. It's only been really uh, out of the country, abroad, only a few times. But he suggests this as an illustration of preaching the Word of God. I read in, in a BBC article how they prepare to move the Mona Lisa, even if they're going from one room to the next. They said they would do mock-ups and walk through the process to make sure they didn't damage anything, make sure the doors were wide enough, the turns were, were broad enough. All the preparation that goes to this. And the writer said that oftentimes they will plan one year in advance just to move the Mona Lisa one room. Now I suggest to you, along with Alexander, what if those transporting the Mona Lisa, those handling it, decided that the Mona Lisa just wasn't quite artistic enough? What if those transporting it decided that maybe it needs some additions? This is so dull. Let's let's try to brighten it up a little bit. Let's add a little color here. Let's give it some updating. We all hear that like that's crazy. That's the Mona Lisa. We can't do that. So Alexander says their job is not to improve upon the painting, but to deliver it in its original condition. He says, how much more the word of God. There is no need for us to dress up the word of God. There is no need for us to make up for some kind of lacking. The word of God is entirely sufficient to accomplish everything that God intends to do. But do we believe that? Next time you have half a thought to turn the preaching of God's word into a product to consume, remember, remember what God says about his word. God's word is sufficient. Secondly, the second reason we preach expositionally, God's word is gospel pointed. God's word is gospel pointed. What is the gospel? It's always my joy and pleasure to remind you. The gospel is God's redemption 
of fallen man through the person and work of Jesus, namely his life, his death, his resurrection. This is how God saves. This is the good news of the gospel. And everything in the Bible and everything in human history revolves around that one truth. So when we say God's word is gospel pointed, maybe as, as Jensen describes, like an arrow, but I would rather frame it in terms of the edge of a knife, okay? The edge of a knife. The gospel is like the leading edge of a knife blade. Those of you who do some cooking, I rarely get to or rarely want to participate in the cooking around my house. One uh, fruit, i got to be careful with a tomato. One fruit that comes to mind is a, a tomato. And you know the skin of a tomato. you got to penetrate that skin for it to slice nice and smooth, right? Otherwise, you're going to end up mushing everything out of the side of the tomato if your knife is not sharp. So if you put that dull edge on the fruit skin, you either end up having to saw or you destroy it. You mangle the fruit. But if you take a razor-sharp edge, that edge penetrates the surface so that the knife does its proper work. We must look at the gospel, the truth of God's redemption of fallen man through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is the leading edge of God's word. Nothing will make sense ultimately in God's word as God intended it apart from the truth of the gospel. So if we are preaching on marriage, this is not how to be a better husband or a better wife. It is how the gospel makes us married for God's glory. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, love your wives. You see? Gospel. The gospel is the baseline for our application of all of God's word. We don't just preach forgiveness because Christians are supposed to forgive. No, we preach forgiveness. We practice forgiveness because God has forgiven us in Christ. You see it. Don't miss the gospel, which is essential. When we show acts of mercy, why do we show mercy? Because God has been merciful to us by putting his own son on the tree rather than me. We preach reconciliation after an offense because we know the gospel had to happen after all the offenses that we committed against God. And he, through his son, reconciles us. The Bible says, in his body of flesh by his death. Gospel. Good news. We apply it to citizenship. Dual citizenship. How you operate as a citizen of the kingdom. How do you operate as a citizen of this world? The gospel tells us this. Why do we practice neighboring, good neighboring? Because the gospel informs these things. Why work as though you're working for the Lord because of the gospel? The gospel applies to all these and many more. Expositional preaching thus must be gospel pointed. It must be gospel edged, to say it 
in alignment with my illustration. As the gospel is the leading edge, that means that expositional preaching always demands a response. Maybe it's not a response that's visible, but every single person that hears the word of God preached, every single occasion that it is preached, that person is making a decision. Every week you hear the word of God and you decide whether you're going to properly apply it, whether you're going to obey or whether you're going to disobey. Listeners either surrender to God's word, repenting and believing, being transformed, or listeners harden their hearts against God's word in rebellion against him. In alignment with this, we preach expositionally in order to eventually preach the whole counsel of God's word. The whole counsel of God's word has its reference in Christ, his saving work, his sanctifying work. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and what he came to do, what he is doing. Maybe we could review a bit more. The creation account is about Jesus' work as God's word from the first inkling of the created order. Colossians 1 tells us he's the one through whom all things were created. Abraham's obedience shows us Christ's willing sacrifice and salvation in him by faith. Jacob's ladder, that's Jesus. Joseph's sufferings and the provisions God gave show us Christ and his suffering and the provisions that are found in him. Moses delivering the law is about Christ's incarnation, his kingdom. David and Goliath, you've heard me before. David and Goliath is about Jesus overcoming our enemy for us. Sin. Solomon's coronation is about Jesus, the coming king, the ultimate king. That's just a few things, folks. The Bible is about Jesus. When we preach the whole counsel of the Lord of God, we are preaching in reference to Jesus and his good news, his gospel work, his saving work. So, God's word is sufficient. Secondly, God's word is gospel-pointed or gospel-edged. Thirdly, God's word leads to encounters with God. God's word leads to encounters with God. In the Bible, we see the prophets receiving God's word, the revelation of God's word to them, and their visible, recorded response in almost every occasion is what? Fear, unworthiness, humility, but ultimately obedience. We must ultimately know God through his revelation before we can do anything. That applies first to the pastor. 
secondarily to the hearer of God's word. Jesus reminds us apart from him, we can do nothing. So we must encounter God through his word if we wish to see his word do any work among us or beyond us. The Westminster Catechism actually has the first two questions of that catechism help to understand why this is so important, encountering God. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The second question, what rule hath God given to direct us how to glorify and enjoy him? The answer, the word of God, which is contained in the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. And so we read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. You've heard it before. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. On this point, we know the way that Paul referred to his own writings as being from God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you recall the way Peter talked about how men who wrote Scripture were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we believe that every single word of the Bible was inspired by God, breathed out by God. As it was originally given, it is consistent with exactly what God intended to say. we got to keep this in mind. And so when we look into the Scriptures We expect to encounter God through his very word. The main aim in simply expounding the Bible is to ensure that we encounter God in his fullness. We will meet this gracious, loving, just, holy God. as the faithful God who keeps his word. And we will be changed by knowing him. So I would say practically, this may give you another answer to why we preach the way we do, typically. Good expositional preaching will aim to work through books of the Bible from the whole breadth of Scripture. That way, when we walk through a series, you have a good reference point for all that has been covered there. And we're not just taking some random passage or random verse And applying it in ways that God did not intend. So I want to review briefly. Six years, just Sunday morning stuff for us. Six years. We've been able to walk verse by verse, essentially, through the book of Titus, the book of Malachi, Philippians, Obadiah, Mark, 1 Corinthians, some Proverbs, some Psalms, and we've made it halfway through Jeremiah. I don't know about you, but for me, this is cause for celebration. And if you're pretty much here on Sunday morning, you have heard nearly every sermon from those books of the Bible that I have preached. 
the moment you start thinking, man, I'm just, you know, things are just not going well for me spiritually, and I'm just not, I'm not hearing God's word like I used to, or enjoying it like I used to, or this or that. Consider not just what God does in a sermon every week, but what he does in a sermon every week for six years. Or for some of you, 60 years. We overestimate what we can do when we gather on a Sunday morning. I think we underestimate what we can do gathering on a Sunday morning for extended periods of time. The Word of God has bound us together, folks, so that we can sincerely look upon one another and say, that is my brother, that is my sister. I will do whatever I need to do to see them grow, to mature. We encounter God through his word, and it changes us. I hope there are ways that you can look upon me, those of you that have been here for these six years, and hopefully you can see God's grace at work in my heart, my life, maturing and growing. I know in so many ways I can look at you and see the very same thing. I want to return to the arrow illustration as Jensen uses it as we conclude. You may say the job of the preacher is to craft a sermon like an arrow and preach the sermon. That is to shoot the arrow with the goal of it landing deep into the heart of the target, accomplishing exactly what God intended it to do. That's the goal. I know that a sermon like this is insufficient. 30 plus minutes trying to explain what goes into prepping a sermon, what goes into shaping the way that we preach, so many other things that we can say. At the very least, I think these three reasons give us uh, a starting place to explain why we do what we do, why we preach the way that we preach. Week after week, I have the temptation to get up here and just like mesmerize you. And I am corrected by the Spirit to say, Matt, you got nothing special. I could keel over this week and there's somebody else going to be standing up here preaching God's word. So fact of the matter. Fact of the matter. It's a joy to stand and proclaim God's word to you. I hope that God, by his grace, would give me decades to do it. Decades and decades to preach his word. I know this is Kyle's desire as well. As we respond, and as I work through another very clunky conclusion, maybe there are some ways that you could realign with what God expects as a listener to his word. Maybe there's some ways you can think about preaching differently. Maybe there's some ways that you can deepen your understanding of preaching, ways you can engage better. In our response today, why don't we take that time to correct those things, dedicate ourselves to those things. Maybe today, as you've heard the gospel, you understand it for the first time. 
Oftentimes, maybe you've looked at the Bible, you've opened the Bible, and you didn't feel like God was speaking to you. But that was because you were more interested in, I guess, reforming or reshaping or getting better for your sake. Maybe if you start to view the gospel and his word as a revelation of the eternal triune God, maybe you'll be mesmerized. And I hope you are. As we respond, the Bible says you can turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus and you will be saved. That's a promise for you today. If you would trust in his saving work, you will be saved. Let's pray and respond together as the Holy Spirit leads. Father, it's a freeing thing as we consider your word. That there is work for it to do. It's not work that must be finished or accomplished by us. But let us be found faithful. Not only as preachers standing in a pulpit, but those of us who are taking your word to our neighbors, taking your word to family members, taking your word to children, to co-workers. Father, let us delight in simply being a vessel, an instrument in your hands to communicate the most wonderful truth the world has ever known. Forgive us, Father, when we turn your word, even perverting your word at times, into something that you did not intend it to be. We confess that this does happen, that we do this. We don't want to do it anymore, Father. Let us look into your word. Let us see you and be satisfied and be transformed forever. Do all this work, Father, that only you can do as we confess it once again. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.